Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 111. And as you turn, let me say that it is a privilege to be before you once again. I praise God for his people. I praise God for the man of God who is our pastor. Keep him lifted up and ever in your prayers for Satan's attack. You think he's attacking you. You better believe he's, ta- he's attacking our shepherd each and every day. So let us lift, keep him lifted up in prayer. Psalm 111, hear the word of the Lord. I'm reading from the New King James. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food for those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hand are verity and justice that's faithful. And justice and his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Father, we need you now. Lord, every second of every minute of every hour of each and every day, Lord, we need you now. Father, for we come as broken vessels, a broken people looking to receive a word from the Most High God. Father, I pray that you will grant us eyes to see and ears to hear what thus says the Lord. May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that we may entrust all whom we are to you, knowing that you know what you are doing and you will take care of us. Oh, Father, as the Psalms testify, to your goodness this morning, O oh Lord, may our testimony be one of thankfulness. Lord, we thank you for your many wonderful blessings. And even now, O oh Lord, I pray for the one who does that know even how to be thankful because they don't know you, O oh Lord. Begin working in their heart. Begin stirring it up that they may receive. May they be broken this morning, O oh Lord. O oh Father, I need your help. Lord, for you have declared that Human tongues would declare the mysteries of you. And Father, I pray that you will speak now. Speak now through me that we all may be blessed. Oh, Father, have thine own way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. Again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. As we look here in Psalm 111, I'd like to put a tag on this text, a, a testimony of thanksgiving. Since we, as we are approaching Thanksgiving this week, will we gather together to stuff our faces? And as we get with family and friends, as we watch football games, but as we gather together for Thanksgiving, many families have many different traditions. Some families have Aunt Betty who always brings the pies. You know dessert is going to be on point because she bringing the pies. Some families have certain arrangements in their seatings. Uh, you have the kids' table in the corner with the plastic mat on the floor so they won't mess up the carpet. But there are certain things that we do each Thanksgiving as traditions. And sometimes as families we gather together and we allow time for each person pre present to testify to God's goodness. To give a, a small testimony, where, to, to say how we're thankful on that day and whom we're thankful to. And I remember as a, as a child, we would go around the room and each person would say what they're thankful for. Oh, I'm thankful for my parents and I'm, I'm thankful for our job. I'm thankful for life. But each person testified to something God had did in their lives. And through those testimonies, we were able to see how God was moving and how God was working. Because I, I can't necessarily see what God is doing in your life. I know he's moving. But, I, but I, I, I just don't know the exact need and the exact package that he's brought. So we testify and, and our testimonies point back to the Father. Not, not so much just the stuff we have. Each testimony explaining why we're thankful, a thankfulness for what God is doing. So similarly here in the text we see all throughout the Psalms, we see testimonies about God. We see this, this David and, and the other psalmists testifying about what God has done in his life and in the people's life. We, we see it in the text all throughout. And as we'll see here in Psalm 111, that he is giving thanks for particular works that God has done in the life of Israel. His point is to point the people to the saving work of Christ. Through the testimony of, of how they even got to where they are. By reflecting on God's works. He is pointing others towards salvation. We ought to do the same. In our testimony. When we ought to give that testimony of thanks. There, and there's going to be times where we need to take a moment. To think back and remember the mighty works of God of how he's worked in our life that, that, it, that it may bring encouragement to ourselves. Especially in those times of difficulties and despair. We need to think back. So here in the psalm, as we read the text, keep in mind the Old Testament. 
See, here they're in the land and they have a king and the wars have been fought and delivery from Exodus has taken place. But yet, remember, have that in mind as you walk through the Psalms because you will see a recounting, a reflecting of what God has brought them through and why they should give praise. And it's the same here. So keep in mind what he's been through and what he's heard from grandma and grandpa and mama and daddy. Keep that in mind. For truly, in order to understand what he's saying, we need to know a little bit of where he come from. I mean, isn't that true of you and me as well? In order for me to understand your praise sometimes, you just got to tell me what you've been through. In order for me to understand why you shout like you do, sometimes you just got to tell me what you've been through and what God has done because I might want to shout with you. So, so that, this, this, understand that as you read the Psalms. God has been working with this people for a while now. And the psalmist, he would have been someone very familiar with the history of Israel. And through his retelling of their experiences, he, he is expressing praise and thank you to God. And, and through the events of the Exodus, those things have been firmly enrooted, rooted in him and, make, and makes up his chemistry, his DNA. His DNA is, is filled with these stories of what God was, has been doing. And we can see how he casts the vision of God working through Israel throughout history, weaving together his purposes and his plans and fulfillment of Abraham's promise that he would give him a land and he would give him a seed and he would give him a blessing. So in other words, as the psalmist gives his testimony of thanksgiving, he is proclaiming, listen, listen, and hear about my God. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Worship him. From the text this morning, we'll be looking at a couple different things. We'll be looking at the type of testimony the psalmist gives. We'll be looking at his testimony of God's righteousness. His testimony of God's provision, his testimony of God's trustworthiness, and his testimony of God's salvation. So notice in verse 1, the type of testimony he gives. Verse 1, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Or I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The psalmist explains that he is giving thanks in, in the midst of his people, in the midst of the congregation. He is giving thanks with a whole heart. See, the Hebrew word here for heart, it means the, the, the totality of man's inner nature. A person's most deepest and innermost feelings, the sum of all his parts, not just a portion. And throughout the biblical text, we see when someone does anything with their whole heart. It's, it's always voluntary and, and, and complete. It's not this half-hearted worship. It's not, well, you got to twist my arm to go to Sunday school this morning. Well, it, I, I'll buy you breakfast if you just get up, you know. And, you know, I'll take you to lunch if you stay the whole service with me. It's not a twisting of the arm. It's, Lord, I'm here to worship you. Not because mama told me, not because grandma told me, not because daddy said get up, but because I love you. I will worship you with my whole heart. 
Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's to your left. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we see this expression of wholeheartedness here in the text. Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, verse 29, as, as, as the children of Israel are preparing to go into the land, he's letting them know, like, you know what? Y'all about to go into this land. God has blessed you. Y'all about to act a fool, and he's going to take it away. He's letting them know, but, he, but he's, he, he's saying, but, but just serve him. Love him with your whole heart. Deuteronomy 4 and, and 29. And he says to them, but, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Turn over to Deuteronomy 6 and 5. And he's telling the people here in the fifth verse of the sixth chapter, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And turn with me to chapter 10 of verse 12. <clears throat> and he says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. If you're going to be God's chosen people, if you're going to be the ones that he has set apart for worship, if, if you're going to be the ones that direct blessing to the nations will come, you need to serve the Lord with your whole heart. With all that is in you, not a half devoted worship. Not a worship that is not worthy for the most high. Not a, not, not, not a fake and phony worship. See, you can fool me most of the time. You can fool your parents some of the time. But you can fool God none of the time. Because as we look on the outward person, God is looking at the, our, our inward being and our heart to see, do they really love me with their whole heart? His devotion, the psalmist's devotion to God is not divided there's no dichotomy there's no well i got one foot in the world and i got one foot with jesus you know just in case the story is true i, I do want to go to heaven but i still want to live how i want to live he's saying no I'm, I'm not divided here i'm I, i'm going to worship him and thank him with my whole heart and i believe he mentions this in direct contrast, reflecting back to how the children of Israel behaved in the wilderness. You remember the stories of how in, in, in the wilderness, as soon, like as soon as God, God has performed all these miracles, he has opened up stuff and they walking on dry land. And, and right there, they're like, oh, well, I guess since we're here, we know I just I just worship God with everybody else because their attitude was like, Lord, why have you brought us out here? Lord, why, why had you, have you delivered us from slavery to be out here? It would have been better, better back home in slavery. They were just there because they were part of the nation. And sometimes people show up on Sunday just because they're part of the family. And God is saying, I, you, you're part of that family, but you need to be part of my family. And then when you become part of my family, you understand why we worship on the Lord's day. 
No one's forcing you to love God. But Christians love God because he first loved us. And a half-hearted devotion to God is no devotion at all. It's like, it's, like, it's like the young man who was trying to catch the train. He had an important trip and a, a, an important place to be, and he was running a little late trying to catch the train. So he's, he's jogging with his briefcase, and he, he's running, and he's panting, and, and he, he catches the, the gaze of the conductor. And the conductor was like, okay, he's hurrying along. Let me hold the train just for a moment. So the doors are still open, and as he gets right up to the doors, he says, okay, hold on. Let me catch my breath a second. So he stops and then he, get, he, he, he gets himself together and he, he's about to get on the train because it's about to take off. And as he prepares to go through the door, he just stops and like, nah, well, hold, hold up a minute. Let me think about this. And the conductor like, okay, is he for real? Because we're about to go. And he, 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 he motions to get on the train and then he stops. He motions to get on, then he stops and and then the conductor like he's playing games now and then he motions to get on then he stops and then at at, at, at some point the conductor like i'm done with this i'm shutting the doors and we're going so he shuts the doors and he goes and and the man is like standing there crying like but i wanted to get on the train it makes no sense and it makes no sense for people to come to the doorstep of God's salvation and say, I, I, I want to get on, but I, I just can't. And I, I, I want to be a Christian, but I just can't. I, I want to love him with my whole heart, but I just can't. One day God is going to shut the doors and the train is going to move on and we're going to be in glory. And you're going to be weeping and gnashing your teeth. Because we need to worship God with our whole heart you can fool a man but you can't fool God so from the text we see that we must have a wholehearted devotion to God before we can even get it and from this wholehearted thanksgiving in verses 2 through 9 he goes on to give us the reasons of why he's so thankful he, his reasons being the works of God And in reflecting on God's works towards the people, he points back to God in four ways. He he points back to God through God's provision, through God's trustworthiness, through God's salvation. First here, in verses 2 through 3, he testifies to God's righteousness. Verse 2, the works of the Lord are great. Study by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. The writer has taken a step back to look at what God has done, and it's like he's he's stepping back to get a better view. Like all the wonderful works of God, all that he has been doing. And he's looking at, at, at God's marvelous creation, and he's looking at Israel's kingdom, and he's stepping back, and the Lord is good. His works are great. This this magnificent demonstration of goodness, those great, honorable, and glorious works reveal the righteousness of God. Righteousness not just pertaining to to, to God's rightness or his goodness, but, but a righteousness in terms of his royal power and his rule over the world. When our 
read the works, these great and honorable and glorious works in, re, in regards to whom he is, God's ability to take nothing and make something. That's a mighty work to, to, to not have the, the building material, but to make the building material yourself and to say, let there be. And it is. Let it grow. And it does. Those are his marvelous works. When I think about God's work in creation, I think about a, a, a great throne. A, a wonderful master extending his honorable hand and taking a, a, a glorious pen and writing out salvation. And he begins with creation. He starts the pen and he says, let there be. Oh, I'm going to make some trees. I'm going to make some grass. I'm going to make the valleys flow. And I'm going to make the streams go. And I'm going to make the oceans. And I'm going to make all these beautiful things. And, and then he, he has creation. And I'm going to make man. He's drawing out this beautiful painting. Man falls. And then he says, no worries. Because I, I will draw my salvation plan throughout time. He begins drawing the patriarchs. He begins drawing how he's going to deliver the entire nations, all the world through Israel. And then he gets to the cross. What a work of art he draws on Calvary's cross. He draws the resurrection. He's, he, he's going to draw the second coming of Jesus. And he's going to draw eternity. And we step back. And we just look. That's, that's what the psalmist is doing. He looks. I'm reminded of Psalm 19 where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language which their voice is not heard. The line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out his chamber. And rejoices like a strong man to run his race. It's, it's rising is from one end of heaven and it's circuit to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from his heat. Have, have you thought about the sun as something wonderful that God brings? Most times we see the sun is like, man, I got to get up and go to work. We see the sun and I got to get up and go to school. God has demonstrated his wonderful works through creation. God's righteousness. Right before our eyes. You. You are a demonstration of God's righteousness. Never forget that the, the scripture says. I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He made us. I went to the chiropractor the other day. And as we were having a conversation. They were telling me about the millions of nerve endings. That the human body has. And how just by twisting my neck like this can shift my hips and make my feet to walk straight. And just by cracking my back like this and, and uh, leaving some pressure off a nerve, he can help with headaches. And I, I'm like, man, I just don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because obviously... That one cell that supposedly made everything was sweet enough 
to make these millions of nerve endings that, that have flowed through my body and able to, 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 to keep me walking straight and keep me to thinking straight. All it takes is one clot in your, your mind and you have a stroke. It's nothing but the hand of God who put us together. We are a demonstration of his righteousness. The great and glorious works of his hand testify. And as you step back and look over your life, for those who have taken pleasure in him, you you see the demonstration of God's righteousness. As you cast the gaze upon your life, like, yep, should have been dead there. Uh Uh-huh. I should have failed that test. He let me fail that test so I do better next time. Oh, Lord, thank you. I didn't marry her. Oh, oh, come on, God. Oh, you gave me a job. Oh, Lord, you don't gave me a house. Lord, when I was broke, you, you put food on the table. Lord, when I, when I was lowly, you raised me up. And Lord, when I needed a friend, you came. As we look back over our lives, we can see the demonstration of God's righteousness. Great are the works of God. You don't need to take me to the mountaintop that I may gaze over the land. You don't need to take me up in the shuttle so I can see the whole earth. I, I don't, you don't need to show me photos from the Hubble telescope to see God's righteousness. Because to see God's righteousness, all I need to do is to, to look back over my life. As the song goes, as I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. And you have a testimony to what God has been doing. He's been displaying his righteousness in your lives. We heard from our brother's testimony. You think you got it bad in the hood? You, you, you live in shared housing. But last time I checked, I think you got running water. I, I, I think you got a sanitary toilet to take your, your, your waste out. You, you maybe even have a refrigerator and a stove, but from what the brother's testimony, they don't even have that in India. So God has been working in your life. The righteousness of God is displayed through, throughout his creation. And the psalmist is testifying the works of, of the Lord are great. The psalmist moves from God's righteousness and shows us God's provision. Verses 4 through 6. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. It's as if the writer takes a moment to think about where the children of Israel were now compared to where they came from. See, see, when, when, when God chose to bless the nations of the world through Israel, he, he didn't choose the largest nation. He, 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 he didn't choose the, the mightiest nation. He didn't choose the, the wealthiest nation. But he chose one man, Abraham, and he told Abraham, I will make your name great. 
See, see, and just on a side note, as Christians, sometimes we get caught up in thinking, man, if only God would save 50 cent, what type of testimony would that be? Many people will come to Christ. If God would only save Rihanna, boy, a lot of people would come to Christ. It don't matter who gets saved because it's God doing the work. It doesn't matter how big or how small. As Christians understand that God can do a work through anybody. In America or India, it's him who's doing the work because it's his creation. But the psalmist thinks about this, where they've come from, where they are right now, and in every step of the way, he sees how God has been providing. He sees how when they were in slavery in Egypt and they and, and Pharaoh got to the point where was like, go on, get out of here, just leave. And as they were leaving, the Egyptians were so happy that they were leaving, they start showering them with gold and silver and possessions of people who had nothing in an instant had something. He's looking at, oh, the mighty deeds of God to provide. He's okay. He, he gave them uh, a whole bunch of cash when they left for the trip. And then on, on the way, when they didn't have nothing to eat, God didn't just say, okay, I'm going I'm to make bread up here. He said, no, I'm going to rain down my bread from heaven. So they didn't have anything to eat, but now they have. And then when they got thirsty, the Lord said, you don't need a river or, 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 or a lake to drink from. I just hit that rock and I will pour forth water. He got us providing in the least likely of ways. And, and God does that to us. And then he said to the children of Israel, okay, you're taking the land, but I want you to do a little bit something different. I don't want you to pick up the sword and I don't want you to go knock at their door and try to fight them. I just want you to walk around their city. And I just want you to walk around just shouting and, and blessing my name and I would tear him down. See, God has a way of providing for us in the least likely ways. We want to see what's going to happen. As God says, I got this under control. God's provision. He's testifying to this. He's thinking about where they've been and where they are now. God has clearly demonstrated in the, in the history of Israel that he is more capable of providing than anyone else. And with this testimony of thanksgiving, the psalmist encourages us this morning. If God can do it for them back then, hello, he can still provide for us today. If, 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 if God can provide for the nobodies, surely he can provide for us. See, 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 if he can provide for the have-nots, surely he can do a work in our lives today. If God can provide for the poor, if, 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 if God can provide for the brokenhearted, if, if, if God can provide for the captives, if God can provide for the blind, and if God can provide for the oppressed, surely he can provide for us today. And he has provided. Turn with me to Luke, the fourth chapter in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. If God provided for them, he could and already has provided for us. Luke, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> verse 18 this is Jesus speaking and Jesus says 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. God has provided for us. We are the poor. We are the brokenhearted. We have been taken captive by the ideologies of this world of what we supposed to do and shouldn't do and what we should have and what we shouldn't have. We have been blinded by the God of this world with the materialism of America. We have been blinded. We have been oppressed. But God has made a way. Our God provides and his works testify to that we've seen God's righteousness we've seen God's provision and in verses 7 and 8 we see God's trustworthiness his trustworthiness God can be trusted verse 7 the works of his hands are verity are faithful and justice and his precepts his commands are sure trustworthy They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Here the psalmist testifies to the trustworthiness of God. All that he done, all that God has done is faithful. What he commands is true. See, see, God has not dealt with him in a deceitful or vindictive manner. You know how we do when we want to get back. God has not dealt with him like that. And we're reminded again of Abraham. And the Bible tells us that God promised Abraham a child and he believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham trusted God. Abraham understood that what God says is true and it will come to pass. And after their miraculous delivery from slavery, In the first sign of difficulty, what did they say to Moses? Why did you bring us out into the desert to die? Didn't we say, you hear that? Didn't didn't we tell you, Moses, it would be better for us to stay than to come out here and die? At the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of difficulties, at the first sign that it ain't going their way, they began to rebuke God. They began to fuss and to complain. They thought God was dealing with them in a wrong, deceitful manner. But no, the psalmist declares that the God whom I serve can be trusted. The God who gives me direction will tell me what is right and what is wrong. As you hear Pastor Jamal say many times when he's reading the word, he, he, he calls it the, the authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of God. And he says that that, that, that word infallible, that, that word means that it, it will not lead you astray. That, that if you only follow the word of God, it would lead you into the right way of life and, and not the, the wrong way of life. It's, it's infallible. It gives you great advice. Matter of fact, it gives you perfect advice on how to live this life. But what we do is we go to our homeboy and homegirl and get bad advice. 
you go to you married, but you go to your single girl who don't have a man, asking her how you should treat your husband. Girl, he didn't do what? Psst, I would leave him. What? He did. He didn't buy you nothing. Nothing for Valentine's. Oh Lord, he should be in the doghouse. Bad advice. And we're looking to the world to understand how to function in it. But God has said, don't look to the world. Look to me because I've already told you. God has demonstrated time after time after time that he can be trusted. The psalmist is talking about that Proverbs 3, 5 type trust. I will Trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding and all my ways acknowledge him and he shall not 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 he could or he might or 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 he, he, he almost could get it right. He shall direct us. God is not fickle like man. He won't turn on you when you do wrong. When you make a mistake. It's not a holy dictator just waiting for us. Yeah, touch that line, touch that line, I'm going to strike you. Touch that line, I'm going to strike No, he's not like that. If, if I've learned anything this year about God is that God is merciful. And he's had so much mercy on me. He, he, he has blessed us so much. For God says we need to trust him for direction. If you need direction in, in, in your life, trust me. When you need your daily provision, trust me. When you need a friend, trust me. Trust me and not this world. For you can't trust them both. You can't have it both ways. Our God can be trusted. Finally, we see God's salvation in the text. Verse 9. We'll be dealing with 9 and 10, but verse 9 first. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. God sent redemption to his chosen people by raising up the prophet Moses. The one who will lead them to the promised land. Then he gave them his law on Mount Sinai. See, and this, this is not a series of laws because God is some type of cosmic killjoy, but a set of commands that allows an unholy people to live with a holy God. That's what the law was. If you want to live with a holy God, here's how you do it. For through the works of the law, God was able to dwell with the nation. That's their redemption. God was able to dwell amongst men. See, and no other nation could claim that God was dwelling among them. Only, only Israel could at that time. And no other nation could say that God was in their midst. This was their redemption that the psalmist is talking about here. Though the sacrifice of bull and goats, for, through the sacrifice of, bull, uh, of the bulls and goats, for the one who obeyed God's commandments, they will be cleansed. They will be clean before God. 
A covering of sin was provided through the law. Who else could do this? Who else could do this but God? But looking at the cross, we find such a one for ourselves. The one who bore the sins of the world upon him. For the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 5 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus does the same for us and bringing us redemption. In him, the God of the universe not only lives around us, but he lives in us. And in him, we no longer need that, uh, a temporary sacrifice of bull and ghost because that only covers him and, and he takes away sin. For as John the Baptist declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's Jesus. And that is our redemption. And as you see in the text, he says he has sent redemption to his people. That, that implies that there is a people who's not his people. And I encourage you today to check yourself. Are you one of his people? Have you trusted in the Savior alone for salvation? Are you his people? Are you his child? For in him alone is salvation found. Praise be to God. But it's here. It's right here in the text. And I love this part. It's right here that, that the tone of the psalm changes. It's like he, he's proclaiming, proclaiming, shouting, shouting. And now he, he wants you to respond. He says in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. His whole tone has changed here in verse 10, but why? The psalmist has been testifying about the goodness of God, the works of God. Now he asks the listener, won't you trust him? Won't you trust this God that I've been talking about? Won't you trust this God who is able to create and to keep and to sustain? Won't you trust this God who is righteous, who, who provides for us, who saves us? Won't you trust him? Because a response of wisdom is a response of submitting your will to Christ. I can, I can hear the psalmist saying, if, if what I've been telling you has made any sense, if what I have been proclaiming may, is believable, then believe God and trust him. You get it when you give your life to him and he becomes your the ruler over your life. See, God, he has demonstrated his rule over creation. He has demonstrated his rule over history, his rule over Israel. Surely he can rule your life well. We think that we know what's best for us. We think we got it covered. But we don't. Because I can't see a minute ahead. A minute ahead, an earthquake could come. A tornado can hit. I can't see that. But there is one who knows the beginning from the end and all the pieces in between. And he's the one that says, trust me and I will make you sure your path is straight. We don't know, but he does. Surely, 
salvation belongs to God. Will you trust him? From the text, we see a wholehearted testimony of thanksgiving. The psalmist has testified that he knows someone who is righteous. God's work, he shows us his righteousness over and over and over again. The psalmist has testified that he knows someone who can provide. We got to quit looking to Ford and Chrysler and to GE for our provision. Because we've seen that could change in a heartbeat. You walk into your office, might be a pink slip waiting on you right now. Then what you're going to do? Call out to God. He's able to provide for us constantly, consistently. The psalmist says he knows someone who is trustworthy. Some of us say we just need somebody we can trust. Everyone's been backstabbing and gossiping and, and talking about how I run my house and how I raise my kids. I just need somebody who's going to listen and not tell my business, but who's going to hear my cry and give me a shoulder to lean on, to cry on at 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning when, you, when your child just has to come home and you just don't know who is trustworthy then. The psalmist says he knows someone who saves. It's not a temporary salvation. It's not a almost got it salvation. I almost had you. I almost dropped you. It's not that type of salvation. It's, it's the salvation when Jesus says, all whom the Father has given me, I have in my hands. We won't slip out. The psalmist says, all of this in hopes that someone would be saved. We heard this morning the power of a testimony. When someone testifies about it, it's something about when, some, when someone testifies about the goodness of God. It moves your heart to know that God is working just as hard in India as he's working in New Bern. He's working just as hard in Asia as he's working in America. We, we serve a God that's not bound by borderlines or, 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 or districts. We, we, we serve a God that's not bound by man's false sense of, I, I, I own this and you can't come in. God is not bound by our rules and our structure because it is he who has given us structure for life. The power of a testimony. The power of this testimony through reflecting on God and what he has done, we see how good God is. As you read the Psalms, reflect on how good God is. But it doesn't just stop here. For the scriptures are full of testimonies. And I'm, I'm glad that I can read these testimonies and allow to speak to my life, to what God can do on my life. I'm so glad that I heard the testimony of the Samaritan woman at the well because through that I heard that Jesus is the living water and those who trust in him will never be thirsty. I'm so glad that I heard the testimony of the centurion whose servant was sick because through that I found that all Jesus has to do is say a word and he'll bring healing and change circumstances and 
I'm so glad that I heard the testimony of the adulterous woman because uh, through that I found out that it was possible to go and sin no more. I'm so glad that I heard the testimony of the woman with the issue of blood because through that I found out that I just needed to touch the hem of his garment and I would be made whole. And and I'm so glad that I heard the testimony of Zacchaeus in the tree because through that I, I found out that a sinner could receive salvation and and I'm so glad that, that, I, that I heard the testimony of Calvary's cross. For in Calvary's cross, I found out that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and I'm so glad that I heard the story that early one Sunday morning, Jesus rose with all power in his hand because through that, I found out that there's victory in Jesus. And that is no no one who can de- defeat us and no one who can stop us because in him we have life and we have victory. I'm so glad. The whole of scriptures talks about Jesus. In John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these which are they which testify of me. Jesus said the Bible is a big testimony, big talk, book talking about me. The Bible is a book about me. And if you want to know me, you need to get in my book. And, and when you get in his book, you'll see that how when, when, when God told the woman that, that the seed of the woman will crush Satan's head, he was talking about Jesus. And And when we see the story about Abraham and Isaac and when he was about to sacrifice Isaac, there was a bush in the ram. He said, that story is talking about me. And, and when he's talking about Noah's Ark, we think it's a nice kid story about the, all the animals getting to the ark and everyone saved. But Jesus said, that story talking about me because I'm the ark and all who comes in will be safe. And, and Jesus says that when you hear the story about Jonah, that's talking about me because in three days I rose. And, and when you hear the story about the Passover lamb, that when you sacrifice the lamb and you put the blood over your doorpost, that you will be saved. And, and we see that the blood of Jesus saves us and and God he says that the story about the the scapegoat being sent out that's the story about me because I'm the one who took your sins and I I put them on my back and I I took them out the door Uh, I took them out the tribe and now now you're clean as far as the east is from the west so far as your sins apart from you the book of this book is about me The scriptures testify of Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? For Paul says, I de- Paul gives a testimony. He says, I declare to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that he rose again the third day. That, that, that's a testimony that has power to save. The fact that Jesus rose again. What is your testimony today? See, because like it or not, everybody has a testimony. We think a testimony is just those people who get up in church and shout about what God has done. Everybody has a testimony. It's just what your life testifying about. 
my life might testify about Jesus, but your, your life may, may testify about gin and juice. And, 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 and your life might testify about just uh, uh, sexual immorality and fornication. And, and our lives testify about something. What is your life testifying about today? Could you testify to the thankfulness that is found in Christ? Would anyone be able to see Jesus from your life? Call on him now. Like the psalmist, won't you trust him? Won't you, won't you believe? For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of life. You think you're living now. But I tell you, when you're living in Christ, you have a new life. That's why it's the beginning. For those who are in Christ are new creatures. Old things are passed away. That baggage that you had passed away. That sin that you was doing has passed away. Those people who try to name you as something that you weren't has passed away. But all things become new in Christ Jesus. Will you trust him? This testimony of thanksgiving is a testimony of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, the scriptures testify of you. Lord, this was not a mistake or just so happened. But you purposed that you would testify about yourself that we may see your good works and we will glorify you. Lord, as the psalmist has been talking about your righteousness and your provision and you being trustworthy and your salvation. Father, I pray right now we will do like him and, and, and break down and submit and say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, make us wise this morning. Not in our own eyes, but according to your word. Father, as we do prepare for Thanksgiving this week, may our thanks be every day. And not just one day. May we not just show up for dinner one day a year. But may we show up at the table of grace that you give every day. For you say your mercies are new each and every morning. Lord, may we show up in the morning time to dine with you. May you bring direction to our life. Lord, may you convict the one. The one who is bumbling and stumbling in their own ways and, and, and looking for a way out. Who, who, need, who know they need a savior. Lord, draw them even now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony. And we give you glory, honor, and praise. For mighty are your works. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.